Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit forerunnerchurch.com. morning. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and we have the teaching notes posted online as well for those that are following along. I'm going to read this passage from Isaiah chapter 9. It's a familiar passage, particularly around this time of year. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with just judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Father, we come before you as a spiritual family. Lord, we love your word. We love your ministry. I'm gonna pray just the prayer that was in my heart at the end of our first service. Father, you've given us the gift of your son, and we ask for the gift of revelation to see him and savor him in the way that you do, Father. We wanna see and delight in Jesus the way that you do, Father. Give us this great gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Isaiah the prophet makes this, I mean, remarkable statement that becomes so familiar to us through the Christmas songs and holiday season. But he says that a child from the Father, from the Ancient of Days, the Eternal One, a child has been given to us, a son has been given to us. It's been granted unto us to receive a son from the eternal father who knows no beginning of days. He's given us his own son. And this gift, this precious gift of Jesus, it is the gift on which history rises and falls. How will you receive or reject that gift? It is the most important gift. It is the most important question of the hour in human history, not just because of the holiday season. It is the most important question you could ask, what am I going to do with the gift of this son? How will I receive him? How will I respond to him? Will I ignore him? Will I get halfway in? Will I go all the way in on the implications of this gift that's been given to us? One of the unique things about Christianity is that in the Christian faith, Christian teaching through the Bible, it displays that the deity in control, the Father, the Creator, has given a gift to humanity in order for humanity to know the Father. And why that's so distinct is because all the other world religions require that you give a gift in order to be approved by the deity. 
But in Christianity, it's the exact opposite. The Father has given you a gift. He has taken the initiative upon himself. This is a remarkable thing. He's taken the initiative upon himself to give us something we did not deserve in order to enter into a fellowship that we could not have access to in any other way. Not only is that a unique part of Christianity, I think it's one of the reasons why Christianity is true. And here's why. Because every person at some point in their life, sometimes very frequently, grapples with the feelings of hopelessness and despair that they cannot save themselves, that they can't get it all right, that things are careening out of control and that if someone doesn't come to their aid, they don't have the power, they don't have the money, they don't have the insight, they don't have the wisdom in order to get their life to have ultimate meaning and purpose. So many find their meaning and their purpose in their occupation, in their job, in their reputation, in their gifting, and their life crescendos up until that moment. And if they don't have a hope greater than themselves, it all hinges on what they're able to produce in that moment. I, like many of you, I've been watching some of the World Cup matches. And you know, there are these players that they're not anticipating playing in the next World Cup, which happens every four years. And many of their careers, their dream, that everything that they've given their life to has kind of crescendoed in these moments of 90 minutes on the field in order to accomplish and validate their meaning and their worth and their existence. And if they don't get it in that moment, you know, these guys, they're in their 30s. They don't get it in their moment. To many of them, they will grapple with feelings of loss and despair and failure the rest of their lives. Every person grapples with these things, not just the rich and the famous, every individual grapples with this sense of what is the meaning and the purpose of my life? And we know, if we're really honest, we don't have the power for what it takes to lay hold of all of our sense of fulfillment and meaning and desire and delight on the inside. We can't produce it on our own, not if we're honest. And Christianity offers something that no other religion does. It's remarkable. Because in, like I mentioned, in every other system of belief, you have to grit it out, grind it out, and bring your gift to that proverbial altar of that belief system in order to be approved and get what it is you're after. And in Christianity, something very different has occurred. The Father, the Heavenly Father had you in mind, had me in mind. He said, I'm going to present a gift. I'm going to do the impossible. I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to enter into their world in their sin and their failure and their rebellion and their rejection of me. I'm going to enter into the world. I'm going to give them a gift. And they can receive that gift freely and fully. It's the gift of my son. And their whole life, their whole meaning, their whole existence hinges upon what will you do with that gift, the eternal son of God? How will you receive him? How will you see him? Will he just be a historical figure? Will he be a myth? 
Will he be just a teacher to you and kind of a wise sage that we put numbered among the other wise sages of history? Or will he be something more than that? Will he be the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, to whom the government of the entire earth has been given and granted? And will we receive the gift of his forgiveness and enter in to the joy, the fellowship of that mystery, the Father, Son, and Spirit. The season of Advent, we traditionally observe the comings of Christ, not just the first coming, but the second coming as well. There is a great Advent that is scheduled in the heart of the Father to reveal that Son, the gift, not just in an isolated region in Galilee and Jerusalem, but to put him on display in front of the entire earth and all of human history. There's an Advent that's coming. And so this holiday season of Advent is just not just a time for reflection where we look back, but it's also a time of anticipation where we look forward to that gift that has been given of the Father. The word Advent itself it means to arrive. It's from the Latin to come to or to appear. But it's a, fo a form of a word that means not just to arrive, but it means to develop, to set in, and to arise, meaning arising on the inside. And this Advent season that we're in, we're called, invited as believers to consider the gift of this man, Jesus so that something in us would arise, that it would be set into order. It's a time to reorder the priorities of our lives. It's a time to consider the worth and the value of Christ and, and invite our friends and our family and, and our children into a deeper appreciation, into a deeper worship of this gift that has been so freely and lavishly given to us from the Father. And so I'm inviting us into that even today as a spiritual family. The tradition of Advent isn't meant to be a dry custom. How often we become accustomed to the stories of stars and angels and shepherds and wise men and a baby and a manger. And we fixate on all of these things. But obviously the chief figure in the story is the person of Christ. And to quote the famous Misty Edwards song, he's not a baby in a manger anymore. And we're called to enter into a deeper place of fellowship and joy and longing and anticipation of his coming, of his arrival. Beloved, there's a day coming when your eyes are gonna see the one that has loved and purchased your soul from hell and the grave. It, the, the Bible tells us that you're gonna see him and be made like him. And the season of Advent is not just to stir up sentimental feelings with low lights and gentle singing. The season of Advent is meant to awaken something in us, a fire, a passion, a zeal to know Christ, to search him out as much as we can in this life because there's a day coming where your eyes are gonna see him. You're gonna stand before that Lord of glory forever and you're gonna forever be with him in the presence of he and his father. This is a glorious testimony. This is a glorious thing that we have as believers. 
What happens when you're a child? Well, when you're a child and you're thinking about Christmas, you're very consumed with the gifts that you want your parents to get you. And the parents are very concerned about how they're gonna pay for all those things. So ironically, as the Prince of Peace is coming to the earth, everybody is filled with anxiety over material things. Everybody's stressed out. Am I gonna get what I want? Am I gonna be able to give what's expected of me? And though it sounds cliche, I, I wanna call us back to the beauty and the simplicity of what this entire thing is about. It is about the glory of Jesus. If our hearts, even an inch, can push a little nearer to the revelation of the Son of God in this season, it's a win. Regardless of how all the gift lists and Christmas exchanges, it, it, in spite of how all those things pan out, how many of you are, you know, you're in the sibling thread gift exchange thing? You've now got to that place in life where it's completely unreasonable to buy a gift for everyone. So it's like everybody's doing the gift exchange and the text thread goes out and here's your person. Okay, here's the Amazon list. Whoops, I forgot my person. I lost the list. It's just a disaster. It's just an absolute disaster. You know, and this is what Christmas is supposed to, to be about. Help us, Lord. The interesting thing about gifts is that gifts test us like nothing else. Gifts test us. Every gift that's given to us or that we give, it's a test. Something arises, something surfaces in our heart, whether it's gratitude, whether it's disdain, whether it's just absolute confusion, we're looking at this gift like what in the world? It exposes what's truly in our heart. The more extravagant the gift that's given, the more that's exposed in your heart. You know, great wealth and power, they expose what's within the human heart because now the human heart has permission to go do what it really wanted to do. The Bible is filled with stories of gifts, extravagant gifts, small gifts, neglected gifts. For example, we have Abraham and Isaac, the gift of a promised son and the test that that would be to Abraham's heart, not just leading up to the birth of Isaac, but then after when he's invited to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, all of his promise, all of his livelihood to sacrifice it on the altar, that gift became an incredible test of Abraham's faith. Joseph's coat of many colors. That would have been an extravagant gift that his father Jacob gave him. And that gift ended up testing everyone in the family because Joseph put that thing on. He was like, look at me. I'm something special. Matter of fact, I had a dream about all you guys bowing down and worshiping me. So let's just try that out, you know? And everybody is tested by the gift that Jacob had given to Joseph. Joseph is tested. His brothers are tested because what's in the heart What's just beneath the surface is always exposed within the gift. The story of the prodigal son. We know the prodigal son receives an inheritance from his father and he goes off to live his prodigal lifestyle. See, what happened was the gift, that extravagant gift of his inheritance exposed what was already in the son's heart. He already wanted to do that. He just didn't have the power to go and do it yet. So gifts always expose our hearts. I wanna tell you, nothing exposes the human heart like the gift of Christ. 
Jesus, the great gift, the cosmic gift granted to humanity, exposed humanity for the absolute sham that they were in their goodness. It put on display that if the Father were to reveal his perfect love, his perfect kindness, his perfect mercy to a bunch of people, the life and the death of Jesus shows us the absolute sham of what humanity does with perfection. They don't love it. They don't celebrate it. Not true love, not divine love, not holy love. They took the, the divine gift of the Father and they mutilated him and tortured him and killed him. Beloved, not just them. We, our sins... Put him on that cross. Our sins showed us what we would do with the most extravagant gift that we could receive. So not only does our gifts, do our gifts expose what's in our, in our hearts truly, but our gifts invite us into a place of humility, which is what the Lord wants. He doesn't come to the righteous or the non-righteous. He comes to the humble. He comes to those who need him. He comes to those who want him. He comes to those that believe in his power and in the mystery of his kindness and mercy and in the midst of his everlasting love. As we get older, our desires for gifts change. You know, kids, they want gifts that are just wild and completely impractical. The more lights and batteries and noises involved in a children's gift, the better the gift, baby. Bring it on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let the good times roll. You know, as a father, I've had to, this is, this is, a, uh, this is a hint for young dads. You're going to get to the place where you're going to need to have a batteries stash somewhere where the kids can't get access to them. Then they're gonna figure out where those batteries are. They're gonna hit the mother load. So this is what you need to do. You need to diversify where your stashes of batteries, AA, AAA, 9 volt, where they're gonna be located. You can't put them all in one place because that's the mother load. They find that thing, it's over. You gotta diversify your battery portfolio. You gotta go sock drawer. You gotta go in the car. You gotta go under the seat. You gotta, you gotta hide things. Because they will have so much stuff that consumes so much batteries. They're going through these things like kettle chips, man. They're just woo, woo, just woofing through them. Our desires as adults, our gifts change. Kids want things that are impractical because it wows their heart and it fascinates them. As we get older as adults, we want practical things. I want socks. Like, I actually want them. When I was a kid... You know, like somebody would give my dad socks. I'm like, why do they hate my dad? What did he, what did Kirk do to you? You don't have to hate him. Come on. But now like as a dad, I'm like, my feet are cold. I want socks. That's something that I desire. Also, your kids will steal all your socks. So there's that problem as well. My kids come rolling through my house with my socks. They got them pulled up to their knees. They're hanging like a foot off their feet. They're just like, 
going through the house with my, I'm like, where'd you get those socks? They're just like, uh, they run away. Give me my socks back. One of the interesting things is that the older that we get, the more practical we want our gifts to become. My feet are cold, therefore I want socks. The vacuum is clogged with dog hair. We can't get it out. Just give me a new vacuum. We want practical things. And what happens is, is that we begin to lose the wonder and the fascination and the joy that gifts can bring. And that's okay, except when we begin to lose the wonder and the joy and the fascination that the gift of Christ brings. When we begin to relate to the gift of God through practical means only. Here I am, God, your servant, smile thee upon me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins so that I don't have guilt. Grant me my request. Fix my relationships. Give me money to pay my bills, blah, 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 blah. And we can fall into a rote and routine way of relating to Christ and the power of his generosity on simply a practical means. And the Lord wants to awaken and inspire wonder in the heart of his people again. Do you know why? Jesus said all throughout the parables, he encouraged us to have what? Childlike faith. To have a faith and belief in God that's, that's so innocent, that's so pure, that's so moved when God moves. And I wonder if in our maturity, in our growing up in God, if we can fall into the rut of just the practicalities of Christian ministry. I go to church because there's a practical need that's met. I do Christian community because it's a practical need. I do serve in my community because it's a practical need that's met. So I'm just doing the practicalities of it, but my heart is disconnected from the one that the Father said was precious and elect and called wonderful. That's one of his titles. Right here in verse six, wonderful. Do you know what that means? That means that someone that's so incredible that it inspires wonder in the people that see him. They go, who are you? What are you like? That profoundly moves the heart of God when we simply delight and savor who he is. Not just approach him for practical means, but we wonder like little children who are in anticipation, what will God do? What will he say? What will he be like when we see him and when we celebrate him? You know the feeling that you have as a child of staying up all night because you know, you're waiting for the Christmas gift that you know is coming. You're so excited about it. Parents, you know, once we hit that age, adults, once we hit that age, it's Christmas Eve. You're just like, all right, 8.30, let's just wrap this bad boy up. Melatonin to everybody. Good night, folks. We're out. Don't wake me up before 6 a.m. There's a sense of wonder and awe that a child has. I think we could learn something from that awe in the way that children anticipate and receive gifts. What will restore our wonder? Sorry, Siri's talking to me. Stay out of this, Siri. This is church. (laughs) What will restore the wonder and the preciousness of this gift? Look at this, John 3, 16. It's a familiar verse. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only one. I consider my own son, the idea of giving him up for the sake of love to anyone, to one of you. But God didn't just give it to his friends and his spiritual community. God gave it to his enemies. He gave his only begotten son to the ones that absolutely hated him, that despised him, that blasphemed his name. The ones that worshiped idols and sacrificed their children and wanted nothing to do with God. He goes, I have a gift for them. My precious son, my begotten son, the only son that I have that is so dear and perfect to me. Have you ever considered the way in which the father loves the son in all of his perfections and glory? I mean, just the way he must feel about Jesus. I mean, words cannot describe that. The father made it a point to speak audibly three times during the ministry of Jesus. He wanted everybody to know, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He could have said anything. He could have said, obey the 10 commandments. Be kinder to your wife. Pay your taxes on time, dummies. I mean, he could have said anything. But he wanted the world to know the belovedness that he felt in his heart toward his son. And I wonder if to raise the preciousness and our perspective of the gift of God in Jesus, if we need to see that belovedness in the way that the Father saw it. That the key to unlocking the heart of a generation would be a revelation of who Jesus is. I mean, to see him in his glory and his majesty and his perfections, his glittering zeal and strength and nobility. To see him ride in humility and truth and righteousness to destroy the works of darkness, to deliver the oppressed, to fight for the poor and the widow and the estranged. That we would see him. That we would truly wonder at who he is. Not just approach him for practical reasons. But there would be an impracticality to our faith in God. It's impractical. Do you know what was impractical? Mary breaking the vial at the feet of Jesus. That was impractical. You know what was impractical? Abraham looking at his son and being like, I'm gonna sacrifice you today, son, on an altar. That is a very impractical act. There's an impracticality of it. The impracticality of the apostle Paul going, my life is poured out as a drink offering. And then he says in Philippians 3, he says, I press on for the upward call in Christ, until I take my last breath, I'm in an impractical way, actually with extravagance pouring out my life because I have a revelation of this gift, the exceeding greatness of who Christ is. And nothing that I could give and nothing that I could sacrifice could outweigh or be too much or the Father look at the bill of our life and be like, wow, you kind of went a little too far there, actually. Christ is our gift. 
the only begotten son. Uh, there was this old show on public television. I'm not going to name the show, but there was this old show on public television, and they would have all these, like, family heirlooms come in, or, you know, I went to this garage sale, and I purchased this piece of art for $10, and then, you know, they would talk about the history. They'd have this historian come on and talk about this expert, right? Talk about the value of this piece of art, and then they would give a valuation of it at the end. Okay, you know the show I'm talking about? Have you guys ever seen this? PBS, late at night, you're depressed. All right, well, forget the depressed part. You're hooked in. Why are you hooked in? Because you know that that historian has eyes to see something that you can't. And you're like, I wanna know how much that little Russian nesting doll is worth. And they're like, I got this for $10 at some garage sale. And you're like, man, maybe it's worth like 200. And this historian comes in and they're like, well, the 15th dynasty, they did it passed down through the, and there's pain. And they just know so much about the artists that designed this thing or whatever and the anticipations building. You're not changing the channel at that point, baby. You know what I'm saying? And they come to the end and they're just like, this is worth $1 million. And you're like, like throwing your bowl of cereal. Like, what? It's shocking. Because often we don't have the eyes to see the value of the gift that's right in front of us. We need a guide. We need a historian. We need a professional. We need a specialist to guide us in to the value and the perfections of the thing that's right in front of us, yet so often take it for granted. Luckily for us, God has provided that. It's him. It's the Father. It's the Spirit that guides us into all truth, that takes the mysteries of God and then declares them to us. It's the Word of God blazing with revelation at the value and the perfections of who Christ is. And the more that we listen, the more that we don't turn the channel, the more that we engage in that breakdown, in the details of the life of Christ, the more precious and valuable his life becomes to us. The more we begin to see the extravagance of the gift of God, the more that touches our heart, the more we see the vileness of our sin and our insignificant existence, the more we see the generosity of God going, yet in spite of your sins, in spite of your rebellion, in spite of your past, in spite of your addictions, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Here is the precious gift of my son. And over and over and over, beloved, we are going to replay the profound nature of the incarnation, the giving of the gift of God to people just like us, completely undeserving. Walking according to the course of this world, overcome by lust and the spirit of the age, loving darkness. That's where humanity's at. They love darkness. And yet God, the Father, has elected light shall pierce the darkness. I will rescue them from their destruction, from their greed, from their envy, 
from their enemies. I will rescue them. I will bring them into the fellowship of my burning heart, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I will bring them into a joyous, eternal existence that no eye has seen and no ear has heard. Even if it were told to you, you wouldn't believe it. It's that good. And it's that true. Look at how Peter describes Christ in 1 Peter 2. He says that this stone, this living stone is chosen by God. Christ, chosen of the Father. The Father said, he is the elect one, the one that I have chosen to make my name glorious in all the earth, to change the earth into my intent to bring it into alignment of my government and my administration and my ways and my power and my glory so that, as Isaiah said and Habakkuk said, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's where we're going. The knowledge, the, the, the power and the presence of God permeating all that is as we walk upon the land permeating nature, the trees, the hills, the animal kingdom, the atmosphere, the very air we breathe is filled with the fragrance of the glory and the power of God. You breathe in and you breathe God. No shame, no fear, no curse, no pain, glory and honor and power to the Lamb. Forever and ever. Go to page two. Look down at paragraph D. Christ, the gift that was given on the earth, he was mocked and rejected. And the scripture tells the tale of what happens when a perfect gift is given to humanity. And it actually shatters the human sentiments that man is inherently good. Man is not inherently good. Man is inherently depraved, wicked, evil, selfish. And do you know how we know that? Look at a baby. A baby does not care about anyone else. And matter of fact, a study con uh, conducted by secular scientists showed that if a baby could exert its will, it would be a murderer. Baby, oh, so cute, whatever. It's good that they're cute and small and chubby because it makes them slower. <laughs> they're less agile. They zig, but you can zag. You know what I'm saying? It's saving your life that they're small and fat and cute. <laughs> John 3 tells us this is the condemnation that light has come into the world this perfect gift. But men love darkness rather than the light. That's the issue. They didn't want to receive the gift. They either didn't acknowledge the gift. They didn't believe the gift. They looked at the gift as something to be despised, as Isaiah tells us. He was despised and rejected by men. Not the gift I want. I want a different gift. Father says, no, this is the gift you need, trust me. No, that's not the gift I want. I hate this gift. That's what humanity said. They loved their deeds of darkness. They were the number one idol in their own souls. 
They hated the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light because he doesn't want his deeds to be exposed. That's what happened on earth, but in heaven, something very different occurs. In heaven, the sun is worshiped and adored continuously. They can't help but praise him and sing to him and offer their gifts before him day after day, night after night because they see the gift as so magnificent, as so special, as so worth everything. Therefore, he is worthy of everything. They see him with different eyes. They see him through humble hearts. They can't help but rejoice and delight in him. And the more that they sacrifice in their time and the laying down of their gifts, the more their heart is rewarded with pleasures forevermore. Delight forevermore. When humanity saw that Jewish man, that Jewish carpenter with a Galilean accent, they could not conceive that he was the key to pleasures forevermore. They wanted a Messiah. They wanted a conqueror. They wanted a Saul. The Lord gave them someone that was despised and rejected by men. He gave them a gift that was wrapped in human flesh that didn't come with some reputation and an entourage and a bunch of trumpets announcing his arrival. His arrival was announced by poor shepherds. He was celebrated by foreign kings that came and offered him gifts. He was unlike any other king and any other God. And in heaven, they see him as he truly is. The father says he's at the center of the throne in Revelation chapter five. Father says he's the center of all that is and all that means anything. Everything that exists, exists by him and for him and to him. And all things will worship and adore this precious gift, my beloved son. 1 John 1 verse 4 tells us the reason of Christmas. These things we write to you that your joy would be made full. Beloved, this gift is not for the high and lofty. It's not for the intellectually, intellectually intellectual. See, that's obviously not me. <laughs> it's not for the wealthy. It's not for the moral. It's not for the pious. It's for the humble. It's for you. It's for anyone that says, I want to see and savor and rejoice in that gift in the way that the Father does. I want him. He says, the, your joy, it will be made full. The fullness of your joy hinges upon the gift of this son. Receiving him. Seeing him. Delighting in the glory and the majesty of who he is. The response. There's a parable. You've likely heard it in Matthew 13 where there's a treasure hidden in a field and a man discovers that treasure. 
And what does he do? He goes and sells everything he has and he goes and buys that field because he knows that treasure is there. The value of that treasure outweighed everything else in that man's life, everything. And there's two ways to tell and understand this parable. And many times I've heard it in the context of we were the treasure. We like to make ourselves the center. So we're the treasure and Jesus came and he left everything and he came and purchased us. And that is true. But there's another way of understanding this and it's this, that the treasure is Christ, the gift of God. It's the son that has been given to us. And he that is determined to find that treasure in the field, to discover the richness, to, to see it rightly evaluated, rightly esteemed. You get that expert in there to help understand just how precious this treasure is. It will compel a man to leave everything else in his life to, in pursuit of that treasure. That's what the holiday season is meant to do in us, to awaken and invoke something in us, to see the treasure of that gift of God, and say, what is it in my life that hinders me from going all the way for the sake of that treasure? Verse 46. Excuse me, verse 45. Brandon, I'm gonna invite you and the team to go ahead and come out. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, and he found one pearl of great price. Beloved, you could search high and low throughout the earth. There is only one pearl of great price. It is the person of Jesus. It is the precious gift. You can hang your whole life on it. You can sell it all. You can give it all. There's no gift too extravagant to lay down in pursuit of him. But I'm not here to talk you into laying things down today. I'm here to talk you into seeing and valuing the pearl of great price in the way that the Bible describes him. If we see him, it will radically shift our lives. It will radically transform our lives if we see him as he truly is. Let's stand. We're gonna take a moment this morning as we just sing. And I wanna encourage you to ask the Lord for revelation about the gift of God, Christ. To see him, to savor him, to enjoy him, to be dazzled by his glory and his fame and his beauty. And in doing that, you will find, maybe not right away, but you will find over time the joy and the pleasure of worshiping our Lord of knowing him in a deeper way. Father, we come before you as a spiritual family. Those gathered here, those joining us on the web stream, we ask you for that spirit of revelation. We know that the gift has been given, but we wanna see the value and the worth of that gift in a way that's commensurate with your heart. 
We've put a value on Christ. All of us have. And I'm certain that it's all far too low. Would you help us? Would you guide us by your spirit? Would you take the mysteries, the things that are in your heart that your father has told you, Holy Spirit, about the son? Would you come and declare those things to us? Would you speak them in dreams? Would you speak them through revelation? Would you speak them through quiet times, through devotional times, through corporate times of worship? Would you speak it, Lord, in sudden ways where we're reflecting on the glory of the incarnation and suddenly our heart is burning. We feel a, 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 a magnetism towards you. We feel a compulsion to draw nearer to you, Lord. We wanna see you. Unto us a child is born, a son is given. Thank you for tuning in to Sunday Sermon. For more information, service times, and free teaching resources, visit forerunnerchurch.com.